Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Host of Writer Than You on CBS Sports Radio and CBS Sports HQ, Bill Ryder. Bill, welcome back to the show live from Spain, my guy. <laughs> Hola, what's up, buddy? So can you can you set the scene for us? Like where in Spain are you? What does it look like? Does is it does it look right now for you as good as it feels like it should look and like as I'm visioning it? It's pretty amazing. I'm in Barcelona right now in an apartment I rented for the month, working from Spain, which has been quite the amazing experience. I'm not a morning person. So I get to get up for my early radio show at about 1 p.m. every day. It's, I have dinner every night at midnight with my kids. It's magnificent. I'm looking in a little backyard courtyard with a basketball court and some palm trees and a bunch of Spanish apartment buildings, thinking about how much I love it here and how bad I am at speaking Spanish. All right, that's fair. I, uh, I There was one point, because uh, I, I dated somebody in high school that, that spoke fluent uh, Spanish while I was taking my fourth year of Spanish, and there was... Bill, I could talk Spanish. Now I can barely speak English. Like I don't know when <laughs> I don't know when I lost the ability, and I, so I grew up in a Hungarian household. I used to be able to know everything anybody was saying around me and speak pretty fluently. I can barely say string four words together anymore. I don't know if that was the year, year thirty. Everything just dropped off. I don't know if practice makes uh, perfect, but I am right there with you. And again, I can barely speak English. I, you know, I can barely speak English as well, and I used to be able to speak Spanish and English. And it's just the same, same deal, my friend, all downhill as I've gotten older. So let's get to the NBA side of things here. Uh, the NBA play-in tournament here to stay for the foreseeable future. Do you think that the play-in tournament is good for the NBA? I do. And, and Nick, I was, I was skeptical about it. I, I don't like change. I'm a creature of habit. And I, I guess I occasionally bristle and get annoyed at the idea that the NBA regular season doesn't matter, in part because I think it's set unfairly and in part because it probably gets a little too close to home. And I think this tournament has made it interesting, whether you finish 6th versus 7th or you finish 10th versus 11th, in a way that obviously was never true before. And I don't think it hurts that one of the, fir the first incarnation we had Lakers versus Warriors, but I do. like Against what I thought was my better judgment, I think more competitiveness, games that matter more, a sense that something is significant at the end of the regular season has value and does for the NBA. So then that brings us to the in-season tournament, which is, I think, like a bucket list item for Adam Silver. Like it, He's got to get this done before he leaves the, the NBA commissioner's office. How do you make the in-season tournament relevant for both players and Fans. Well, I think it's I think it's three things. I think it's money. I think it's time, and I think that it's luck. I think money's the first thing. You have to incentivize these guys in a really significant way. And I, and I know talking to people around the NBA and in the league office that the notion is at least early on of making it significant, maybe for teams that aren't going to win an NBA championship, but that are really good and really interesting, and maybe teams that have a lot of young players. Right. So think. New Orleans or think Atlanta before guys get those big contracts. 
where maybe you offer one or two or three million dollars per guy on a team that wins. That's money is the thing. Time, I think if you if you implement it, if it's going to work, and there's no guarantee it will, and it just takes a long time to go from being an oddity to something that you sort of care about to 10 years or 15 years down the road, it's fairly significant that you won the in-season tournament, Nick. And two years ago, couldn't have cared less because I wasn't, I didn't understand the, the premise. I have become a weird, obsessive soccer fan in COVID and a Barcelona fan. Part of the reason I'm actually here is fell in love with the city, fell in love with the football team, the soccer team. So I sort of have a concept of, okay, they've got these league tournaments they have in, in European soccer. I've seen it be successful. And then I think there's just luck. The money plus the time, you just have to get lucky and have some compelling games and have it work. Because, again, it's not a one- or two-year timeline that you can test like you can in the playing tournament. For an in-season tournament to work, I think it has to happen over a five- or six- or eight- or decade-long timeline. Bill, do you think auto playoff bids or auto top six seeds or top four seeds, do you think that would do you think that would be on the table for a potential, you know, the, the, the winning prize of an in-season tournament? Dude, I think you hit it. You nailed it. This is an Adam Silver passion project that he is. I don't even think it's want to. I think he will get it done. I think it will happen because it's what he wants. And I think he will seed whatever is required to get it approved in a CBA and to not just have it approved by the players and by the owners, but to have it somewhat embraced. So I think, like any negotiation, he'll give as little as possible to get it done. But yeah, if it requires, and I think a four seed, for example, Right, just an automatic four seed would make it. I think people would hate it. I think there'd be a lot of arguments against it, including so you have a really good first two or three months in the seeding of the plan of, of the of the midseason tournament, and you get lucky in a little run, and all of a sudden it negates half the regular season. Those are things that Silver and frankly whoever comes up with negotiating this has to sort out. But to answer your question, yes, I think anything that gets over the finish line, whatever's required for Adam Silver, he'll deliver on because he wants to get it done. Bill Ryder, writer than you on CBS Sports uh, Radio Network and CBS Sports HQ on the guest line talking the latest in the NBA. And I think the NBA and the NFL are in rarefied air because for the most part, when, when we talk about what's the problems with the game, we're nitpicking. Like in baseball, the problem is not enough people are watching it and people are tuning out because the gameplay, because of the relationship between the owners and players and its fans, like the NHL, it's a relevance issue. That's not really the case. The NBA knows who it is and they know they, they're tweaking their game. That's what I think the NFL and NBA are doing. But if we had to say the biggest problem with the NBA, what do you think the NBA's biggest problem is at the moment? So I, I don't know if you guys played this or heard it, but I, I love Nick Saban. I think he's so smart. And he was talking about college football and the movement towards super conferences. And he cited on, the, on a podcast he was on, Saban cited that the fact the NFL is king because everything they do is, is geared toward competitive balance. And Saban's sort of explanation was if, if the NFL could wave a magic wand and have every team be 8-8 eight and eight going into Week 17, that's exactly what they'd want. And so I think that is what the NBA craves and covets and needs to have happen. And so to answer your question, long roundabout way of saying, I think this ability, I'm so annoyed by it and I've written about it, the ability for players and the acceptance by front offices, for all the reasons I understand, that players can demand an exit from a contract. And Kevin Durant's such a galling example because they built around him. He's got four years left. And not just that. Not only I want to leave a contract that they sign, my written word, a contract that's legally binding, I want to demand where I go, and you're going to make it happen. 
I think that undercuts all of the really good work that was done in the last CBA to create some of the balance that you've seen. It's allowed Milwaukee to be incredibly competitive. I mean, just go down the list, like Utah until they blew it up really competitive, or you're sitting. I think they've got a pretty interesting future because there's a CBA now where they can keep their young guys if they draft properly. Just go, go down some of these mid-markets and smaller markets, places like where I'm from. You can now be successful, but not if guys can just say, like, take Zion. I'm just deal. I want to be here. He locks in the money. He's unreliable health-wise. You have to take the risk. But the fact is that if Zion's a bust, the Pelicans are stuck with him. If he's not a bust, he can just demand he's a nick in a year. So for me, that is the most – they have to find a way, and it's not easy, but to break this notion, to destroy this idea that players who sign contracts are able and allowed to not to force their way out and to force their way to very specific places. Bill, let's look to some of the names you mentioned. Uh, Kevin Durant asked for a trade. Kyrie Irving could be on the way out as well. Do you buy into the idea Brooklyn can and will hold on to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving despite Kevin Durant wanting out in Brooklyn? So it's a great question. This gets down to what we're talking about, right? What is the um, the appetite of Sean Marks, who runs basketball the GM in, in Brooklyn, to play chicken with Kevin Durant? No, nobody's done it in groupthink and everything always take toll, right? Nobody does it. This is the way things are. Deal with it. I, I think it's unlikely that, that, that Sean Marks is going to just, is actually going to hold on to Durant and Kyrie because it won't work. They don't, it'll be toxic. It'll be awful. And GMs, as we know, operate in their own best interest first, not a criticism of Marks or any other GM, and then, the, then their organization's best interest. And, and some GMs could survive this and, and would have a lot of time and a lot of capital built up. I, I don't think that's the case for Marks. I think if this goes south, if he can't get a, a pretty good and impressive rebuild quickly on the table, he's not going to be the GM there in a couple of years. So I think he'll blink. I think he'll blink. I, I think Durant's going to probably be a member of the Phoenix Suns. I think Kyrie's probably going to be a Laker if the Lakers are willing to attach uh, or a couple first-round picks. And I think the Nets are unlikely to get the return that they should. And it's easy for me to say this from my apartment in Spain talking to you on your radio show. But if it were me in that front office, I'd just hit a hell with it. If I'm going down in a blaze of glory, I'm going to finally do it, put my foot down. I wouldn't move those guys until I got the return that I wanted. But I don't think that's going to be the outcome. So then let's look to Donovan Mitchell. Uh what does a prospective Donovan Mitchell return look like? And inevitably, where do you think he ends up playing in 2022-2023? Well, based on the Rudy Gobert trade uh, <laughs> and Danny Ainge's history of apparently being able to um, put other GMs under hypnosis when negotiating, <laughs> it feels like half of an all-star team is the, is the correct answer. So I think he's going to be a New York Knicks. That's certainly what I'm hearing. And the Vegas odds reflect that. I mean, he is even money to be a New York Knicks if he has moved on by the Utah Jazz, which he almost certainly will be. Danny Ainge not only wants to rebuild, but has a track record of, of not, not just rebuilding successfully, but trading guys that were deemed untouchable, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and just being amazing at weaving all of that in, into gold time. And again, the Jason Tatum thing, trading away the first overall pick, said he was going to pick the guy who wanted the three, did in Jason Tatum, and that guy is, a, is an absolute stud. And I think the return is going to be hefty. I mean, the thing about the Knicks that I find interesting is I, I, that for me, there's not enough there that I want. There's not enough. There just You can name any of the players in that roster. I'm not really interested in those guys. But I defer as an observer, as a reporter, as a, as a sports talker, to Danny Ainge in a way I don't most GMs because he has a track record, right? He's shown that he can do it. But I think he'll be a Nick. I think the Heat can and will be in the mix. I think the Nets are interesting because then you start to get into the idea of three-way trades and bringing assets in. Obviously, that's a team that's going to make some moves. 
But I think he's likely to be a New York Nick, and I think it's going to be for every young player on that roster, every draft pick on the face of the earth the Knicks can give. And I think you'll see Ames taking some of those players and move them on as well and do a full rebuild. So who gets traded for more in the end, Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant? Oh, that's such a great question. So it's so interesting, right? Because Donovan Mitchell didn't demand this. It's Danny Ainge making the decision, which I think changes the leverage game a little bit. The answer should be Kevin Durant. Even though he's going to be 34 in September, you know, even though he's an older guy, Kevin Durant is one of the only players you can put on your team and you can reasonably say, because he's here and everything else doesn't matter, we're a championship contender. I would, I would personally quibble with that a little bit, but whatever. That's the reality for most guys in the NBA. Not true of, of, of Donovan Mitchell. It, it's just not. But I think... Because Durant has this power we've talked about, and he wants to he wants to go because he's so selfless. He's so legacy-hearted. He wants to go either the team that won the most games in the Western Conference, Phoenix, or the team that won the most games in the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat. I think he'll go to one of those two places, and, and that means there's no leverage for the Nets, or very little. I think it'll drive the price down. I think Donovan Mitchell has the chance, absurd though it is, to get a better return than Kevin Durant. All right, Bill, I ask you this because uh, while I am a mountain of a man, I I have what uh, doctors like to call a weight problem. You are very fit. You live live a a respectable lifestyle. You don't go full fat ass like I do all the time. So there's a conversation that came up earlier in the show, and I knew who I wanted to ask it more than anything. Is there a restaurant or type of restaurant that brings out your internal fatty? Oh yeah, I mean, bro. My, I mean, look. I've, I I follow you on Twitter, and I'm so proud of you for what you've been doing. It's it's amazing. I am not as fit as I need to be. Now I play a lot of competitive tennis, but I am like the chunky guy who beats the athletic rich guy, and everyone doesn't understand what's happening. I'm telling me wrong. I'm good at tennis. I just don't. I would not say I'm particularly light though and in shape. Just, I mean, a lot of things. I mean, I'll tell you this. In this town, I like to drink a lot, and they have a lot of cocktail bars in Spain. And I went to a cocktail bar last night after dinner and had six cocktails or seven. So that probably wasn't good for Operation Lose Some Weight in Spain. And then you put me in a steakhouse, dude. Like, you put me in a steakhouse. The problem is I'll have an old-fashioned, order a glass of wine, I'll have that steak, and then it's just, I guess I should have got a surprise, and maybe I should get, I've done this, I'll get another steak and take half of it home for tomorrow. Dude, I like to eat. So steak and booze is what really gets me. Oh man, it's so funny you say this. So I went to uh, I went to Steak Forty Eight here in Charlotte with uh, a friend of mine and two members of an NBA organization when they were in town. And there was a moment. And by by the way, Bill, this is after I lost a hundred pounds. <laughs> there was a moment right. where everybody looked at me like. Good God, this man can eat another another level. And I felt like I had exposed myself, like I was bare naked in public <laughs> because of the judgmental looks we were getting at Steak 48. Bill, uh, you've, you've always been such a great dude. You've always been such a good friend. So I appreciate you for making time in Spain during the final week of the Nick Wilson Show here in Charlotte. And I appreciate the hell out of you, buddy. Hey, dude, I want to say to you, congratulations. Huge loss for a great city you're sitting in, but a huge gain for another great city in my wife's home state of Ohio. So this is a tough business. Talented people and good people don't always get what they deserve. I love when that goes the other way. You are both. You deserve all of it. Congratulations, brother. I'm so happy for you.